Hi, this is Jamin Fraser, and you're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. This podcast is a mixture of interviews, coaching sessions, and personal development content. You'll hear me chat with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do great things in their life as a result of working through their insecurity. You'll hear brave souls being willing to have a live coaching demonstration recorded where they work through their insecurity. And you'll hear 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver high quality personal development content to help you on your journey. I hope you find it useful. Now on to today's show. G'day folks, it's Jamin here. You're on the Insecurity Project and I have the great privilege of interviewing Susan Thon. Uh, it is a great privilege and I've been trying to track Susan down for ages. It's uh, very exciting to finally get to do this conversation. First time I had a conversation with her in the Light FM studios, I thought, wow, there's something very compelling and attractive and interesting about this woman and what she does. So uh, Susan's a writer, a speaker, a broadcaster, storyteller, social media, media personality. She was born in Canada and has travelled the world. She started businesses, won national awards, been featured on TV and radio. Uh, she's a wife and a mother of, of three. She's the founder of Somo Society, uh, which is socially mobile. We'll hear a bit more about that. And author of the soon-to-be-released You Are More, Finding Beauty in Authenticity, uh, which is a book that she's written after interviewing hundreds of women around the world to ask the hard questions about life and really explore this whole thing around are you enough. Uh, so, Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. Well, that's great. Me too. Well, let's dive straight in, as is the the, uh, the plan on this podcast, and begin at the beginning. So I'm always fascinated by where your story started and particularly the impact your parents had on you as a young girl growing up and how their impact shaped your earliest sense of self and, you know, whether they did a good job or a poor job. But just tell us a bit about what it was like being you growing up in your home and how that helped you develop yourself. Okay, so I am number four of uh, five children. Um, I am number four in birth order, but I am number three of living children. So before I was born, huh. I um, had a brother that died. So my story yeah, starts wow. out, um, I was always wanted. I was actually what I, <laughs> I've self-proclaimed myself as healing balm for our family who had gone wow. through a significant loss. And so from the time I was conceived, there was excitement around my birth. Um, when I was born, I was welcomed into the world with balloons and party poppers and and really was healing to my family. And I think having, I you know, I often have looked at my life and listened to countless stories of, you know, devastation and hard times. And for many years, I sat going, well, I don't have that horror story. I've actually got this incredible story of I've always been wanted and I've always known that I belonged. And I think it comes from, unfortunately and sadly for my family, a deep sense of loss for them. But my yeah. lived experience has been one of of acceptance and love. And so that's that's where I start. Well, can I ask, was it a lot of pressure to be under that you were, you know, part of the healing? That was on your shoulders. Uh, um, obviously, there was excitement. But was there pressure associated with being the healing balm for your family? I don't think so, no, because I think I was, they were just so happy to have me. And then um, after me, I've got a brother with special needs. I've got a Down syndrome brother. So I was kind of sandwiched yeah. in between this. Um, I was so wanted and desired, and they were so excited for me. Then seven years later, I ended up, um, my little brother was born. And I think, to be honest with you, I think there was probably a little bit of guilt on my parents' side because all of a sudden at seven years old, um, they needed to focus a lot of attention on him, which yeah. I have never carried, but I know that I know that deep down they probably did. So was there pressure on me to because I was that? No. Not that I ever felt or wow. recognized. Wow, okay, yeah. that's so fascinating. Um so so growing up feeling wanted and loved and needed and appreciated. 
so how did that impact your sense of self? So obviously that's what other people are telling you. Um, you found that easy to internalize and to believe about yourself? Yeah, you know, um, I've said this quite often and um, maybe to the chagrin of others at times, but I've always really liked me. I I really <laughs> I enjoy my own company. I yeah. even the gritty parts of me and the the parts that aren't as finessed as they should be. I I've always had this deep sense of knowing who I was and um I guess I've I've kind of walked in that. Now, in saying that, I would say that I found my voice of confidence in life really early, which means yeah, sure. It was misused at times. So, although uh, well, what what do you mean by that? Um, I would suggest that growing up, there were probably people in that I went to school with um, that. Well, not probably. They have. They've referred to me at times. I did a. I did a. This is kind of funny. I did a um, podcast on bullying because yeah. I'm not a fan of bullying. And um, someone on Facebook who I went to school with commented and said, how ironic, Susan Son, you doing a, a podcast on bullying. And I yeah. really sat, <laughs> talking about a slap in the face, but I sat back yeah. and had a thought about that. And I thought, you know, you're right. I, I did, and I went back and I, I had a really, really um, good discussion with this person that I grew up with. And I said, I'm so sorry. I, I found my voice of confidence early and I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know how to handle yeah. that as a as a little as a little girl growing up. And I can tell you a story about my year one teacher. And again, growing up and how some of those aha moments where when you know your life was changed. Um, yeah. So as a little girl growing up, I didn't know what that voice of confidence, where to place it. And then as a teenager, I certainly didn't know. And you know, I'm I'm in my forties now, and I'm still learning where that fits. Yeah. Hmm. Um, sorry, with the year one teacher, what was that experience? <laughs> so I've written about this in my book, and I hope I don't get in trouble. Uh, but um, I, in year one, um, I had this very eccentric, strange teacher. And um, he had a symbol that used to hang from the roof of the the classroom. And he had a, a drumstick that he used. Then he'd come in, and that was his way of, he'd hit that symbol, and that was his yeah. way of getting our attention. And right. we all know, look, any of us who are in our 30s and 40s, we all know that teachers had some some um, ideas and, and maybe some methods that wouldn't really pass the test in today's <laughs> age. Yeah. But um, on this one particular day, he came into the classroom, and I was obviously talking and carrying on, which... Isn't, was never unusual in my schooling years. And he took the drum um, stick and he, what, instead of hitting the cymbal, he whacked me on the top of the head. And yeah. needless to say, my pride, not only was my pride hurt, but it really hurt. And so I kind of just stood there and I'm sure I mouthed back at him. And he um, went to the principal's office and he called my mom and said, I am going to, someone needs to knock the confidence out of this child, and I'm going to. Wow. And Yeah, and I, I thank God for my mom. I thank God that I had a strong, confident woman as my role model, as my mama bear, as the one who had my back, who, who continues to have my back throughout my entire life. Because yeah. I recall the, my mom... Again, back in the day, our parents were never really involved with our school. They they didn't do the things we do. But I do recall on that particular day, the school doors busting open and my mom <laughs> flying through the doors. And in no uncertain terms, she let my grade one teacher know that he would not be knocking the confidence out of me. <laughs> and I do look at that and I think I am so grateful that I had a mother that saw me she heard me. I challenged her, but she got me. My mom really yeah, sure. got me. And Beautiful. I do believe that had my mom not been in my corner on that day, I think my life could have been changed. But because she stood up and said, you're not doing this, um, 
yeah, it was one of those moments, I think, in my young life that was a turning point. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, that's incredible. I, I'm really fascinated about then how you learned to do that for yourself because from what I, what I understand uh, about the journey to maturity, and I think Stephen Covey's uh, three stages to maturity seems to be the, the best way of describing it. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his three stages. Did you come across that? Refresh in me. Seven, uh, seven Habits of Polyactive People, he says it's, you now we start in dependence, uh, then we go to independence and then interdependence. So, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, so obviously when we're young, it is the role of our parents to provide for our needs emotionally, physically, mentally, like just to be there. But uh, a good parent will then prepare a child for independence and, and not just physically, but also emotionally and relationally. So obviously as you go out into the world as an adult, your mum and bear mm-hmm. can't always be there for you to burst through doors and fight your fights. Yeah. So I'm fascinated about how you kind of transferred her confidence into you, into your confidence in you, and as you kept growing uh, and finding out this voice of confidence and where it fitted and when it was appropriate and when it was not, were there times where you had to actually stand up for yourself uh, and own your space when she couldn't? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I left home um, when I was... 18. Um, okay. And in in North America, we kind of leave home right out of high school and um, make our way in the world. Um, and yeah. so I left home at 18. I ended up moving to Hong Kong, um, which strangely, my parents had moved to Hong Kong. And so that's why one of the reasons I went. Um, but even in that, it was very much... Um, your independence is here. You've got to. You've got to figure this out. Um, I think my lived experience through, you know, there's there's a great saying, and it's a simple saying, but it's monkey see, monkey do. And yeah. I think having watched my had the opportunity to watch my parents. My father was a politician, and so I saw, um, you know, I saw him making decisions and and leading our province and doing things that required a lot of confidence um, and and drawing from, I often think about him now and go, I wonder how, who was his mentor? Who, who helped shape him? Um, and so I think my lived experience was quite interesting in that way. Both of yeah, my sure. parents were very strong um, but loving and very community-focused and very people-focused. Um, that's how they lived their life. And so I think I... Caught that. Now your question being, have I had to stand on my own? Absolutely, I've had to stand on my own, whether it be in mm. um, the workplace as a young single woman, um, mm. making my way in that space, um, starting my own business. Um, I also, one of the more interesting things and personal, personal things was I'm in a mixed marriage. My husband's Korean. And yeah. um, he comes from a beautiful family. And one of the most honoring things in a Korean family is for the mother to help choose the son's wife or make introductions at least. Right. And my, um, I think their dream and vision for my husband was always to um, have him marry a Korean woman. Now, I am definitely mm. not that. And so um, I would say that was a time where I had never had to look at myself in a way where I was being rejected. It felt like I was being rejected simply for who I was. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's a bit more personal um, and, you know, kind of a deeper, a deeper, I guess, example of finding my voice and finding who I am in that space. And that was hard. There's no question. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, because because that's the thing. You're Hang on a minute. Someone's saying you're not enough. You're not enough for, for this man. You're not right yeah, and it's right. stuff that you haven't chosen. And so, uh, yeah, that's what this whole – well, it's the intention of the insecurity project really is that, that process of 
when you're in the space of that that question, that fear raising its head, are you enough? What do you do? Like, how do you find a way to push into that space and own your confidence, which is clearly what you've done, which is why your story is so wonderful and so useful because, you know, many people in those moments of fear and pushback and someone saying you're not enough kind of go, oh, uh, okay, maybe you're right, and, and they don't find a way to find their voice of confidence and they shrink back from the life-giving things and settle and survive for things that aren't what they really want, um, mm. you know, which is sad in a way. So uh, have there been times where you think that insecurity or that fear of not being good enough has limited you? Um, no, I don't think so. And I know that sounds really, really funny, but I've never thought that I'm not good enough. I've never thought yeah. that... I'm not good enough because, and I, I don't know if this just goes back to um, having a, having been celebrated or having yeah. the examples that I have, or maybe I'm just delusional, which could very well be the case. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I've never really thought that, um, no, I've, I've never really thought that I wasn't enough. I've, I've def- there's been self-doubt at times, but I think yeah, that's sure. different because you can doubt yourself. You can doubt, uh, doubt your skill set. You can doubt your abilities, but that doesn't have anything to do with the core of who I yeah. am and who I Amazing. show up as. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm so fascinated about how you've achieved that because that would have to be incredibly rare for people to have not gone through periods of really being limited by that fear and to have uh, had it hold them back. Um, and obviously your parents have modeled something very beautiful, um, but they parents actually don't have the power, in my understanding, to uh, fully transfer their own beliefs onto a child. Like the way that we're made is that we are storytellers. We are the ones that are scrubbing meaning to things and, we're always making choices. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a parent can't actually install a belief system into a child. A child is on some level choosing that or rejecting that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm fascinated about the stuff that you've done consciously or subconsciously to enable you to stand with such strength and to have found your confidence voice and not let go of it even through different challenges. I often say, and my husband and I joke about this a lot, it must have been a sunny day on the day I was born. Now, Hmm. Keep in mind, yep. I am Canadian, and I was born in February, which typically would mean it was probably around minus 40, but the sun yeah. still does shine. So we sure. talk about that a lot. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram or not. But yeah, I, Okay, so I'm a number seven on the Enneagram, which basically okay. means that my world is colorful, that I see opportunity yeah. everywhere, and I thrive on that. And if you were to... If you were to um, give me or equate me to a cartoon character, think about Tigger. Yeah. You know, okay. um, Piglet and Tigger. I'm a lot Tigger. Of I'm bouncing. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of bounce. And, and I see opportunity and I see possibility in everything. And so, you know, I heard, actually, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and I heard someone who is also a number seven say, if, if a barn is burning... Number sevens on the Enneagram don't look and go, oh, my gosh, the barn is burning. We look and go, hey, s'mores. We can have s'mores. Yeah. Anybody got yeah, some yeah. biscuits and chocolate and marshmallows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess part of that, and like I like that you say, you know, how you choose to be. I think, yeah. I think and my mom taught me this really early on in life. You choose who you want to be. You choose how yeah. you want to respond. You choose, there's so much in our life that we're able to choose. And for yeah. whatever reason, maybe it's that sun, sunshiny day I was born on, maybe it's the seven in me that comes out. I tend to choose, um, I like to land in happy places. So yeah. whether it be with my own, I think we have to be very mindful, and I'm very careful of this, and it's something that I adopted early on in life with my own inner narrative. And I've said this many times when I'm speaking. I'll walk by a mirror, and I'm the first person to compliment myself. 
Yeah. I'm the first. I love mirrors. I love them yeah. because I look and go, what you are, and my family laugh all the time because we've got this mirror right near our kitchen, and I'll look yeah. every once in a while and go, you look, you are fantastic, and they'll just be sitting yeah. around going, oh, mom, you're ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm really conscious of my inner narrative, and I speak to myself a lot, which could sound strange, but I do. Not I wake at all. Up in the morning, it's beautiful. And I speak to myself and say, Susan, this is who who you are. And it's not even that I have to consciously really do it anymore. It's kind of something that has been done for so long that it's more of a way I, I now live. I once heard a story about a young girl who shared their house was quite small and they had paper thin walls and she, her, her parents' bedroom and her bedroom shared a wall. And she said every morning she heard her mom get out of bed and before her hit, before her feet hit the floor, she heard her say, oh, damn, another day. Oh, well. Yeah, and she said That's, that, that was my morning wake-up call. And wow. I heard that when I was in my 20s and I thought, what a sad story. Why can't we need to get up? like the birds, excited to sing and to, we're alive. We're, we're, it's another day above ground. I kind of think that's a good day. Yeah, sure. And we're celebrating. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a long answer. Or just a, that's a, It's a beautiful answer. Um, I just want to pick a few pieces of what you said there just to really make this useful for the listeners because I think, um, you know, if people hear, okay, so you're a seven, so you're a tigger, so you're naturally positive, naturally enthusiastic. So a bunch of people will go, well, that's not me. I'm not a tigger. Yeah. I'm not naturally enthusiastic. The sun wasn't shining when I was born. I didn't have loving parents. So yeah. so then, then the, the challenge is to go, well, then I can't be like you. I can't be positive. Uh, and so I think um, my understanding of, of doing well in this is to grow what you've been given. So we all start in different places. Yeah. Uh, but to never lose sight of the choice in that. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Anthony Robbins. I don't know whether you've seen I'm Not Your Guru on Netflix. Oh, I love it. But it's, yeah, I, um, I, I've watched it a number of times and I laugh and I cry and I yell at the TV and it just affects me on every level in all kinds of ways. But there's, there's a couple of things that I find particularly profound in that. Um, you know, he starts the show quite provocatively talking about how he's built this man, this man that you see here. Um, he's created this character. You know, he's been clear about who he wants to be and he's been been very focused on becoming that man. Um, But then at the end of the show, he tells this story about where it all started for him and and there was a moment where his high school teacher saw him and saw what was inside of him and pulled him aside and uh, encouraged him to enter this speaking competition. And it was something Anthony would never have done on his own but this teacher believed in him and encouraged him and said, I see this and I think you'd be great. And, and, you know, of course, he went and spoke and won and then won the the next competition, the next and the next, and it kind of led him into this speaking space. And and his thoughts and reflecting on that moment was, you know, that was a moment of grace. I I didn't Mm. choose that. I didn't deserve that. I didn't create that. That That was a moment of grace, and I'm so grateful for that. And I think... You know, what you're describing is a moment of grace. You were born with the sun shining to parents who model this beautifully. Um, yet, given all that, there is still an incredible amount of choice that you make every day to capitalize on that, to maximize that, to grow that, to really um, leverage every ounce of that start and that grace to then go on and be all that you can be. And I think that's a great kind of mix in the way I understand the, the kind of the paradox of, the bunch of stuff we don't choose as opposed to the things we do. Because mm. uh, the, moment, the moment we feel like we have no choice, well, then you know, it's kind of game over. You just you just have to tolerate and accept whatever life throws you away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I think um, my mum used to do a funny thing where <laughs> whenever someone was in trouble, if we got sent to our room or we were – because I got in a lot of trouble. I mean, a lot. Um, and if you're sent to your room, or and this is this is the type of kid I was. So I'd get sent to my room. You're going to your room without dinner. That's it. You've been. I'm being disciplined, and so and yeah. and our dining table was always an 
I replicate this in our home as well. Our dining table is like the central nervous system of our family. This is where right. life happens, where conversations are had, and we shared meals together. And so anyway, I got sent to my room one day, and, you know, most most kids would kind of get upset and whatever and lay on their bed and huff and puff and slam doors. But as I'm walking to my room, and I distinctly remember this, and I, was, I wasn't very old at all, and you'll know why I wasn't very old based on what I did. I had an easy-bake oven in my room. So I must have been, you know, seven or something because you can't use a big oven. You have to use your easy-bake oven. So I'm up in my room, and I'm thinking, I'll show you. I'm not going to (laughs) miss out on dinner. So I got the extension cord, and I plugged that easy-bake oven in and went to the edge of my, like, edge of my bedroom, right at the door. And I fired up that easy-bake oven, and I baked cakes. And I sat there (laughs) eating cakes. And so my poor mother just thought, Oh, here we go. But what she used to do, which I think was brilliant, if she sent us to our room or we were in trouble or something, she would go into another part of the room and just have fun and start laughing and not by herself, but carrying on and make the conversation brilliant. And so you felt like you were really missing out on life. And you realized in that moment, why did I make this stupid choice? Why did I get myself into this situation? Because look what I'm missing. And I think in her... In her, that, whatever that was to help us, it gave, at least for me, I'm not, I've never asked my siblings, but at least for me, gave me a real, really good life lesson that I have to make choices and sometimes moment by moment. And when you are sitting in places and you do feel, whether it's insecure or scared or um, unsure of anything, Sometimes it's moment by moment and breath by breath where we have to make a choice and go, I'm I'm showing up. This is me. I'm putting my best foot forward. I'm going to take a breath here, regain my thoughts. I'm going to I'm going to make this happen. I'm I'm going to be okay in this. And I think it's and it goes back to that inner narrative and then just being aware of of who you are and being kind to yourself in terms of know what situations that you're comfortable in and that you can operate well in. And, and I think, and, 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 and be that in that situation. Um, I think also we have to, one of the things we have to learn and be kind to ourselves in that, yes, I was born on a sunny day and yes, number seven and all that kind of stuff, but I'm still learning and I can't wait to grow up. Like I'm still on this journey and, and and for me, one of the things that I've asked for every day is wisdom. I want to be wise. That's what I want to be. I want to be wise. And so as part of that inner narrative, that's one of the things that I sit with each day. And so as I say that and as I think on that, then every decision I make kind of has to line up with that. And if the choice yeah, I'm well. making doesn't line up with wisdom or wisdom doesn't speak into that, then I go, oh, probably not. And that's where I've got myself into trouble a lot because words are never far from me. Um, okay. And so I have got myself into trouble a lot because when you have confidence or what have you, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble with your words. So I've had to really learn how to handle that. Yeah, no doubt, because I can imagine that bringing confidence to people who are exuding confidence to people who don't have much often can feel arrogant to them or, yep. or brash or rude or you crowd their yep. space or you just exacerbate their own sense of inadequacy. Yeah. Yeah, because you take up a lot of space without even yeah, knowing. Sure. Yeah. You just don't know. <laughs> hmm. Um, okay, so you've mentioned looking in the mirror, being kind to yourself, uh, the words that you speak to yourself, this inner narrative, affirmations, using them well. Are there any other rituals and practices that, that you consistently do which you think makes a big impact in your ability to keep growing up, to keep pursuing wisdom and keep being the woman you deeply desire to be? Yeah, in, um, I I was always a, you know, n- it's New Year's Eve, let's set a New Year's Eve resolution and I was always that one that was kind of three days into New Year's and 
had crashed and burned. So then I thought, oh, well, let's set a goal. Let's use a different word. Let's not use resolution. And so my goal would be set. And then five days in, I'd crash and burn. And so as I got, as I have been getting older, I, I kind of thought, what about this idea of a word for the year? Like, what if I actually, because I'm a words person. I love writing. I love speaking words. I love words. And so I thought, what if I can't hold on to these resolutions or goals, what if I actually had an overarching word for my year? And so I think 2015 was the first year that I actually decided to attempt this. And I really sat at the end of the year and went, I want a word going into the coming year. And my word was quiet. And I what? felt like, yeah, I felt like in 2015, I was supposed to be quiet hmm. in everything. Keep my opinions to myself, um, in my work, in everything that I do, I really felt like I was supposed to be quiet. And so I did. And I went really quiet. And it was probably the loudest, one of the loudest years of my life in terms of, opportunity and things happening and doors opening and I just stayed quiet. Um, so the following year, 2016, I'm thinking, oh, great. Maybe I'm going to be able to make some noise now. And it was <laughs> surrender. And I thought, oh, this is strange. Anyway, what I, and at the same time, there was a woman, an older woman who had said to me that she wanted to start mentoring. And I feel like in some areas we've lost that gentle art of mentoring, mm. um, not telling people what to do, but mentoring people and really being, seeing them, hearing them, and being with them. Mm. And so this, there was an older woman in my life, and, and she said, and I write about her in my book, and she said, um, I really feel like I need some fair dinkum girls to walk alongside and I said to her oh yeah that'd be great good good on you well done and <laughs> about an hour later I phoned her up and I said I think you're fair dinkum girl I'm one of them now at that point in my life I've I think throughout this whole journey of you know as we're talking about insecurity I think one of the things that I've had to deal with is well I don't think I know is pride I've really had to deal with pride in my own life for whatever reason. I don't know if anybody else really struggles with that, but I did. And yeah. even saying to her, I think I'm one of the Sarah Dinkum girls, pride was something I had to deal with because I knew that I had to humble myself and set myself under her wisdom. And yeah, right. it was the most incredible gift that I gave to myself. And what she taught me in that time, and she is my mentor to this day, and and uh, and she has taught me how to mentor. She has taught me how to see people, how to hear people, and how to be with people, and I love it. But one of the things she taught me was, she, one of the questions she asked me at the beginning of our time together was, do you need your husband and do you need your kids? Now, at the time, my husband and I were in a rocky space, and I went, heck, no, I don't need him. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't need him. I'm good. I'm good. But then she said, do you need your kids? And I went, even the thought of not needing my kids was really, I almost felt um, disloyal to them by even thinking that I could whisper that I don't need my kids. And I couldn't do it. I said to her, no, I need my kids. I need my kids. And she said, okay. We're going to get you to a place where you don't need your kids. And I walked away from that thinking, what, what is she doing? Where are we going on? Yeah. Anyway, it was a beautiful journey to the point, and I guess I can bring it up to this week. This week we put my eldest daughter on a plane and sent her off to Europe for six weeks, for six months, sorry. Wow. And my this woman who mentors me, sent me this beautiful text and she said you this and you mentioned it earlier about this independence and teaching your kids to be independent she said you have given her 
independence. She no longer needs you, and you no longer need her. But you want each other. Mm. What a beautiful space to be. And you have given her this gift. And I think back to my parents, and I think they gave me this gift of independence. They taught me from a very young age to find me and to know me and to then embrace me, the good, the gritty, all the bits, and then to walk in the fullness of who I am. I've made mistakes along the way. I have hurt people, not intentionally. I have hurt myself. I have I have failed probably more times, but I, I understood that failure doesn't have to rule you. It actually can fuel you. Yeah. And so I guess I'm sitting at the cusp or in my 40s and excited about what the days ahead are because of hmm. this security, not not just in what I, I, I'm not, oftentimes I think we explain ourselves like our business card. It's what we yeah. do. It's all these things. But it's who I am. And what are the characteristics? What are the things I want to be known as? And I asked my son this question today. He got himself into a bit of hot water this morning. And I said to him, I guess the question I'm asking you is, who do you want to be? And and yeah. I think we all have to ask ourselves that question. So when it comes to insecurity and people who maybe don't have my story, we have to be brave and go inward before we can go outward. We have to do that deep internal work. And, and regardless of my sunshiny day and number seven, I've still had to do work on myself. I've still had to have that inner narrative checked and rechecked and said and reset. And I've had to go back and, 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 and apologize for ways I've acted and been and things I've done. But I think we have to do the brave work of going internally. So that's a long-winded answer to uh, our statement to answer your question. Are there things that I do now? Yes. Yeah. So from the quiet to surrender to these words that I've had yeah. over my year, I've, I've adopted a very um, meditative life, which I do every day. Yeah, well... Okay. Um, how'd you pick those words? Was it a, a fortune cookie that uh, you opened and that, that was the word that, that came out for the year? How, I'm fascinated by uh, the process how of the words, deciding on, yeah, how do the words, yeah. how do the words come? I don't know. I just, I, well, I do, I just had this overwhelming sense that this is your word. This is it. I, I, I spent time, like my, my thought process was I want a word. I want to know what the word is for this year. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, um, this this year, 2018, my year yeah. was, and it was a really hard word to kind of grapple with because the word was me. And I yeah. really struggled with actually verbalizing that. But I'm now kind of midway through the year, and it wasn't, it was probably in March when someone, I had, I was in a conversation and I said, oh, I've made some adjustments to my schedule. I'm actually not taking this trip so early in the morning anymore. I've done it for a year, going to see a client all the time. I'm not, I'm not taking that early flight. I'm doing this. And this gentleman who's a friend of ours looked at me and he said, that's me. You actually are living the word of the year for you. That's, you're looking after you. And I sat yeah. back and I thought, yeah, it really is. So I guess as I look back at the, since 2015 and these were, and it may sound totally whacked out. I understand that, but it's working right. for me. <laughs> I, you I know, love it. Some people lick crystals. Some people do whatever. <laughs> um, well, sorry, and, I, I, I have another question, but keep telling me, keep talking that story. Yes, as you look back no, at, I, at these words. Yeah, as I look back at the words, interestingly, there's this, story that's being told even through that and so um and and then i've adopted a daily um practice of mindfulness and meditation and i sit in my silence and i 
have carved out time. I think we live in such a crazy, busy world where we all know the demands on our time and the amount of information that is thrown at us. We don't have time to stop. And I've really realized that in order, I am, I am body, um, soul, and spirit. And I mm. have got to look after all three of those things. And so my mind, I realized that I was probably living a bit more out of my mind than I was out of my heart. And yes, so ma'am. I've carved out time in the day to sit in silence and and allow myself space to just breathe. Amazing. There you go. I, I've got one more question around this word, right, because I, I think it's wonderful. Um, but the, the intention of this podcast is to go... Uh, what can people do in their own life that would replicate that or that would help them step it up a notch? So um, so the how question is really, really important. You know, so this, yeah. this word piece, your best understanding of how you come up with this word, does this word come from outside of you, i.e., is this this word from, from God? Is this something that God divinely drops into your heart and uh, you have no part in choosing this word? Or does this word come entirely from listening to yourself and your internal sense of wisdom and, you know, building this relationship with yourself and trusting that you do have the answers for what's right for you? Or is it a combination of both? Or, you know, how do you make sense of where this word emerges from just to distill it as as much as we can if people are looking to replicate something similar like that for their own life? Yeah, great question. And and to be honest, I didn't... I should have asked you this before, but I didn't know you know, how far the podcast went in the faith space or or how far, where it went. So for me, I speak, am... Speak freely. Yeah, tell us your story. <laughs> I am a, I, I'm a... I'm a woman of faith. And so for me, um, it is definitely a God dropping of that word, for lack of a better word. It's a combination of both. I think it's, it's, it's a place where I find myself in God and God in me. And yeah. in that divine dance, there is this beautiful conversation that's going on and understand and, and God caring for who I am and the innermost workings of everything about me knows me better than, better than I know myself. Yet in that respects that I do know myself as well. And so I think there is this, there is this, um, understanding between us and he graciously, God graciously um, drops it into my spirit, I think. I guess that's the only way I can really explain it. Beautiful. And it's just this knowing. Yeah. yeah, It's just knowing that that's my word. And I think that was really interesting with the word for this year, which was me. I, I found that a really a challenging word. But yet as I took up the challenge and went, okay, this is it. I've I've been really kind to myself this year. I mean, so, and that's kind of the story since 2015. All the words have been hugely challenging from the sound of things, and but challenging yeah. in different ways. And as you've submitted to the challenge and um, allowed that word to be very real to you, it's brought yeah. a new level of growth and, and a new level of um, you being... Uh, a bigger version of yourself within that story. So, yeah, I, I appreciate mm. you sharing honestly around that, and that's just really lovely. Um, so, ha- I'd love to hear a bit more about your book in a moment. But have there been books along the way that have been particularly useful for you in framing this, some some of this stuff for you, or seeding thoughts, or this wisdom journey? Have there been books that have contributed to that for you that you recommend to others? Yeah, most recently, I would suggest that Brene Brown has been. Um, one of the, you know, for many, she has, has influenced so many of us and just her, I, I, one of the reasons that she really resonates with me is because I, I think I was an early adopter of vulnerability, which didn't really necessarily serve me well because nobody really knew where to place me because I've always kind of been tagged as that person who says what everybody else is thinking, but nobody else is brave enough to say it. Yeah, Um, sure. And I'm open to the raw conversations of life. Um, and so her her whole 
talk, talk about vulnerability and just showing up as our power and story as our way home, that really, really resonates with me. And so I would suggest that she has probably been um, someone that that I have enjoyed reading. I think Anne Lamont is another writer who I really enjoy. She just kind of throws it out there. And yep. so, yeah, and then there's, 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 I love books, so there's a lot. Um, Father Richard Rohr has been a really great influence in the spiritual side of um, where I am. Yes. And just understanding, yeah, I think I've gone through a understanding that um, God is in the moments. He's in, God is in the everyday and, and, I've come to a place where I realize that I don't need to be in a building or surrounded by smoke machines and lights and music. I think I, I think I adopted some thinking that possibly never really resonated with the core of who I am and who I knew God to be in my life. And through taking time and, and um, through silence, really. I was on a silent retreat, and I found myself being drawn outside all the time, and I realized I love nature. Why have I been inside for the last 20 years? <laughs> um, yeah, and so I've been out bushwalking and, you know. Tigger would do a lot of, Tigger would make a lot of mess indoors, I reckon. <laughs> that's right, but stuff like that, and and that's the, that's the stuff I mean. we got to we got to go in. To, yeah come out we have to go in and and dig deep and go who actually am i who am i so yeah okay well tell us about the book that you have written and is soon to be released i'm really excited about this now i uh, you know i should have added that if there's been one time in my life i guess i i could have added this writing the book has been one of the most challenging journeys because like self-doubt and I say to my girlfriends all the time, you guys should actually write a book about the stuff I've sent to you because every subject line says, if this is crap, tell me, I can take it. Um, Because it's been a really interesting process. But the book is um, called You Are More and I'm really excited about it. I My work is all in social media and I, like many people, have sat and watched the highlights reels of social media. I've been guilty of it, putting, you know, the best um, plate of food or whatever the case may be on social media. And I I kind of thought, you know, life isn't all that great. I know for me, some some days are pretty bad. 90%, 80 to 90% of life is really hard. Like if you really look at it, paying bills, doing the stuff that we've got to do, keeping families together, raising kids, whatever the case may be, losing weight, Whatever the case may be, it's hard. But we don't really talk about the hard stuff. We kind of glaze over it. And then if anybody actually does talk about the hard stuff, we all put our back fences up and, you know, lock down the hatches and let's not look over the fence at the neighbors because there might be some trouble going on over there. So we have this notion of living in freedom and, and being these people. But then when it comes down to it, we don't really want to know or be part of the process so you are more is based on i put a call out on social media and said i want to go deep and i want to go real fast and i want to find out what the challenges are that 21st century women are facing and what are the lies that they believe about themselves and what is the truth about them so i put that post out on social media put a little calendar booking calendar along with the post Woke up the next morning and three months of my life were planned. I had interviews, <laughs> back-to-back interviews wow. with women all over the world. And uh, my belief was that out of these interviews, the chapters of the books would, book would formulate. And I wanted, I've always been told and asked if I would write a book. And I thought, I don't want to just write what I think. I want to know what people are thinking. I want to write based on real stories real lives and real conversations. And so woven within some of the most amazing stories I've ever heard, I've 
included some of my story in it, a lot of my story. So I do believe that um, there's going to be a vulnerability hangover when the book comes out. So please email me as soon as you see it and tell me something because this tigger will be in the fetal position somewhere. Um, <laughs> but it, it's basically um, a journey, a very open and honest journey to let people know that um, they're not alone and that they are more and that um, they're seen and that they're heard. And I get pretty real in it. So that's when you see it. It's not for the light. It's up for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Yeah, well, and when does that come out? It comes out in December. Where can people find it when it comes out? Well, it'll be on Amazon, and it'll be in all the major bookstores. Um, probably Amazon is the easiest place to find it, or through GetRealLive.com, which is my website. And where else can people find you? Is that is that the best place, your website? Are you on social media in places people can find you? Yeah, I'm Susan J. Son, S-O-H-N, everywhere. So on social media, Susan J. Son, and best website is getreallive.com. Mm, well, um, look, I'm so grateful for this conversation, and I just I want to thank you for being you. Like, I'm sitting here enjoying this conversation, completely lost sight of the fact that there are other people listening, and that's why we're recording this. Um, <laughs> every cell in my body has just been enriched like honestly i feel you have it's been such a life-giving conversation and um you know thank you for the gift of you thank you for doing the work around developing yourself because um the effect of what you've done in your life to be who you are now it, it obviously goes far beyond you it goes out in lots of ways in ways you probably never even see or hear but i, I wanted to thank you from the world uh, for being good at being you and i'm sure that gift is very rich for so many people and inspires many people to be good at being themselves as well. So thank you. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's been a good conversation. That's wonderful. Well, we'll leave it there and uh, I'll make sure all the links to the books you've mentioned and your social media sites, websites are in the show notes. And thank you again, Susan. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity, check out the 30-day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp. It combines high-quality frameworks with one-on-one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being good enough and give yourself permission to really flourish in life. For more information, check out jaymanfraser.com.